Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. Our scripture this morning is a bit long. I was telling him in the, in the first service, I sometimes wish I could go back to that day where I didn't have any knowledge at all of my Bible and uh, could just sit with it for the very first time and the excitement of like a new book that you have and you know you have to work tomorrow, you know you need your sleep, but just a little bit more. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Our Bible is like that and I hope you'll learn to come to absolutely love it in that way. This morning I am reading about Pentecost, about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and it's from Acts chapter 2, and uh, starting to read at verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages. And what did they hear? About the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. And then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are saying, assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And we have the words that God spoke through his prophet Joel years before. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark, the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day day of the Lord arrives, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. 
With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. In verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead. We are all witnesses of this, Peter said. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. And down to verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children, even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. As we think about Pentecost, we realize that this was a time of change, complete change in the lives of the disciples. Jesus has returned to be with his heavenly Father, to his heavenly glory. It's a complete change in the history of the church as they now seek to carry forward the gospel. And as we look at ourselves in the day that we live in, we are living in a day of such change like no other time in history. We have our technology that is just taking us fast forward. And it can be exciting some days, and people love it. To others, it can be unnerving. There are many who want to learn more and more about technology, some looking at it with almost that deer-in-the-headlights look, like I have no idea what you're talking about. And some are just saying, I don't even want to try to understand it. I have no interest. Some people are looking at it with not just a little fear, and to be honest, here in Acts 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, it can be hard to understand as well. And sometimes not with just a little fear. Looking at verses 2 to 4, where it says that suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and how it filled the house where they were sitting. That would be on the inside of the house, this mighty windstorm. And then when they saw those flames and tongues of fire settling on the people and everyone filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in languages as the Holy Spirit gave them languages. And for some Baptists, if they could do it, if they could find a way, they would get those three verses right out of our Bible. And why? Because people have had wonderful and they have had not so wonderful experiences around the Holy Spirit's work. Some have seen amazing miracles. I have too, great blessings. Words prophesied, tongues spoken, and it's all very biblical. But at the same time, it can be, or it can appear to be, sensationalism, emotions gone out of control, chaos happening in worship, pursuing signs and wonders for a person's own sake. 
And we often say we really want the same spirit that gave power to the apostles so that we can be the church today. We want the spirit to bless us. But at the same time, we're saying, but God, don't let the spirit do anything here this morning that we haven't planned for. We have a program that we use. It's called planningcenteronline.org. And we work on it through the week, and we print it off for Sunday mornings, and we know what's going Well, we think we know what's going to happen. We even have the times down the side. Worship and song. We start to sing. We have the welcome. We have the offering. We have the hub. The children go out. We dismiss them. We have prayer. We have scripture. We have the teaching. And if anything even looks like it might start to get charismatic, a lot of people start to get charisphobic. <laughs> I need you to know this morning we do not need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit or Pentecost. So let's try to get rid of some of that fear this morning and embrace all that the Holy Spirit brings to us. He's part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit as God. There was a little boy that went home from, I'll say, Discovery Park one day, and uh, the mother asked, you know, what he had learned. And he said, well, we learned how God wants to give us a blanket. And the mother tried to quiz him a little bit, couldn't get satisfactory answers, so finally she phoned the teacher, and the teacher started to laugh, and she said, oh, we were teaching them this morning about the Holy Spirit being a comforter. So... <laughs> So fear is often diminished by understanding. So let's try to understand. First, the word Pentecost. It's a Greek word that means 50. 50 days after Passover. So we remember that Jesus, here on earth, was of the Jewish faith. He worshipped in the temples, read the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, we call it, till that time. And at Passover, it was the night before he was crucified, he had that last meal with his disciples where he had what we call the Lord's Supper. So 50 days following that is Pentecost. And we have Chef uh, Shavuot. I tried to YouTube it to get a, a pronunciation. A Jewish feast of weeks happens at the same time, 50 days after Pentecost. And they have a, a celebration harvest to thank God for giving the Ten Commandments. And also around Pentecost, we often think of the Tower of Babel. And people in their arrogance uh, decided that they wanted to build this beautiful tower right up into the heavens, and it would make a name for them, and it would keep them together as well. And because of their arrogance and because of their attitude, God confused their language. And people who were standing and working side by side with one another, had known one another for years, all of a sudden couldn't even understand what they were saying to each other. And now here in Acts 2, we have the reversal of that. And all the language barriers are broken down. And Jesus' disciples are heard declaring the wonders of God, each person in his or her own language. It would be like our pews here this morning, being filled with French and English and Spanish and Portuguese and Russian, Haitian, all the African dialects, and each person being able to understand completely without a translator. It would be amazing. We would stand amazed like the people of our Bible. And then Peter got up to preach, and he said, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hear it for yourself. Jesus had told his disciples before he was crucified how he was going to have to leave them, how he was going to leave the Holy Spirit to comfort and teach and guide them after he was gone. 
And then after his resurrection, before he returned to his heavenly father, he told them not to leave Jerusalem until God sent to them the gift that he had promised that they were going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus ascended to his heavenly glory. And so they waited there in Jerusalem. They met together in one place, and they waited. They chose another disciple to replace Judas, and they waited. And scripture tells us they prayed. But what did they expect while they were waiting? A roaring, mighty windstorm that would fill the inside of the building where they were? Or flames and tongues of fire coming down on them? Probably not in their expectation. What did they think it would ever mean for them? That they would begin to speak in other languages? That people would hear them in that way? But all the wonderful things that God had done, probably they couldn't picture that. And that Peter would have a boldness and be able to get up and preach to the crowds and 3,000 would give their lives to the Lord that very day. And then these apostles, these disciples would go on to start new churches, but also they would go on to end up in prison and be persecuted, martyred, because they were following Jesus and witnesses of him. Probably not, not their expectation. That's what the Holy Spirit is like. We never quite know what to expect from our Holy Spirit. So now we have Peter getting up boldly, filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing this crowd, and he says, we're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's too early. No, what you're seeing and what you're hearing is God keeping his promise. He promised this exactly a long time ago through his prophet, Joel. And we love these verses, and I believe that we want these verses for our church today. God's power through his Spirit working in us, working in our church with passion, with energy, seeing him at work in our midst, receiving God's promise of pouring out his Holy Spirit on us so we can be prophesying and having visions and dreaming dreams, men and women alike. I was at a Gideon banquet a few weeks ago, and a speaker got up to tell us about his trip to Nicaragua, and he said he felt it was something that he should do as a Christian. He felt that way until he got there. And all of a sudden, he was seeing miracle after miracle of people being healed in ways that were unexplainable. And he saw person after person just running to accept the Lord. And I'm still processing all of that, questioning why that isn't happening here. What is so oppressive in North America? What is so oppressive in Truro? What is so oppressive at Emmanuel Baptist Church that the Holy Spirit isn't free to work just like that? Because I do believe he wants to. So Peter quoted Joel, the prophet. So I went back and I wrote, read the book of Joel. It's a short book. I would encourage you to do that. And for me, for the first time, I got a new understanding of the Pentecost, and that's what I meant. It will never quite be the same for me again. So stay with me, if you will, as we go back to Joel and when those words were first said. When God made that promise so many years before that he would pour out his spirit, that there would be prophecies and visions and dreams, that promise was made to God's people when they were suffering great pain. But unfortunately, they had brought that pain on themselves. And I need to say up front right here now that if someone is suffering, if someone is ill, 
if there's grieving, that's not always God just trying to discipline us. So please do not hear that. But in this particular situation, in the people where Joel was the prophet, God had sent a terrible plague of locusts that invaded like an army, Scripture tells us, covering the land. It devoured their crops, and their crops, of course, were their food and their livelihood. So the people were suffering, not because God wanted them to suffer, but to restore relationship with them, to let them know what they were doing, to call them back to him. Now he said, while it is time, come with fasting, God said to them. Come with weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief as they used to do. Tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he's merciful. He's compassionate. He's slow to get angry. He's filled with unfailing love. And God said, I will give you back what the swarming locusts and the hopping locusts and the stripping locusts and the cutting locusts have taken from you. It was I who sent those destroying armies. But God promised to return their crops and their food and do miracles in their midst and fill them with praise again. He said, then you will know that I'm among you, that I'm your God, that there's no other. Can we hear that this morning? It was after a call to repentance, after a call to return to live lives in relationship with their God, that God was able to make this promise to them. Return to me, and I'll pour out my spirit on you and on your sons and your daughters. And I want to say your grandsons and your granddaughters, dreams and visions and prophecies will be yours, men and women alike. Maybe this morning we think, well, this doesn't apply to us. We're on this side of the cross. Jesus has come, lived, he died, he rose again. We're living under grace. And that's absolutely true. But when I look at that, I often think, does that not call us to a higher standard? A higher calling on us because of the cross? Because we are no longer living under law, because we do live under grace, because Jesus is living in us now, should our relationship with him not be that much richer? I leave the thought with you. God has always sought a close relationship with his people to be their one and only God, and his love is unchanging. And Jesus will not sit on a shelf with all the other gods of today. We've talked about it the last couple of weeks. Unless he comes first... And everyone and everything else comes second and below. We cannot be his followers. So as soon as we hear the story of Pentecost, of the promise of the Holy Spirit, it comes along with the story of disobedience followed by repentance. So a question, a challenge for all of us this morning, and I challenge myself too. Are we blocking the Holy Spirit in our lives? Are we blocking the Holy Spirit in our church because of our disobedience, because of how we're living, because he's trying to call us to repentance and get right with our God? So we go back to Peter, and Peter tells the crowd that this is the fulfillment of God's promise of the Holy Spirit, and he calls them to repent. And he says, even though God knew what was going to happen to Jesus. It was part of his prearranged plan. But he says to the crowd, it was you who nailed him to the cross. It was you who killed him. 
But God raised him from the dead, called him back to heaven, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour down on us today. But it was you who crucified God's Messiah, the Lord. We read in verse 37, Peter's words just pierced their hearts, and they said, what should we do? And Peter replied to them, each one of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and then, and then you too will receive the Holy Spirit. This isn't just for us, Peter said, you can have it too. It's a promise for you and your children and to all who call Jesus Lord. This morning, I hope we're hearing it. Three calls we're hearing this morning to repentance. To God's people through Joel. To God's people through Peter. To us this morning through his word. I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. Verse 40, Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And Peter could say that to us this morning, I'm sure. It's a crooked generation that we need to not be part of in many ways in the way that we live. And I won't preach a long time like Peter did, but I started wondering, what did Peter continue preaching that day? Because we're not told in Scripture. Their hearts had just been pierced. Did Peter continue piercing their hearts? and beating them up with the gospel, I like to think just the opposite. I like to think that Peter, after convicting them, reminded them of God's amazing love and his restoration and his faithfulness. You know, we read over and over again how God's people were unfaithful to him, but how over and over again God kept his promise and was faithful to his people. Psalm 106 talks about how the people would turn to idols and then their enemies would crush them because they had strayed from God. And the psalm says how again and again they would rebel against God, be destroyed by their sin, but quote from Scripture, even so, he pitied them in their distress, listened to their cries. He remembered his covenant with them and relented because of his unfailing love. I like to think that Peter reminded them of God the promise maker and God the promise keeper with so much patience that God would never break his covenant with his people. So I wondered if, if maybe Peter preached to them Moses and reminded them how Moses um, was sent by God to go down to Egypt and set the people free from slavery. And yet still, as they followed Moses towards the promised land, they would grumble and they started to turn to other idols. And God's anger burned against them in that. But still, he wouldn't give up on them. And I wondered if Peter preached about the great King David, the great king who led God's people, and yet he committed adultery and had that woman's husband killed. But God knew his heart and restored him and sent the Messiah through David's line. And I wonder if Peter preached Amos, grave warnings, where Amos, God said through Amos, my people have forgotten how to do what is right. And the consequences were dire. And God says, come back to me and live. Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. And then the God of heaven's armies will be your helper. God promised a time to Amos when the grain and the grapes would grow faster than they could be harvested and the ruined cities would be rebuilt. 
I love that promise. I can see our church is filling up faster than we can handle it. And I wondered if Peter preached about Jesus in his conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus told Nicodemus, God so much, so loved this world that he even gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. But the next verse goes with it. God didn't send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him could be saved. It had been God's prearranged plan all those years, through all those times when God's heart was hurt, people turning away from him, worshiping other gods, and God would not cancel his plan in the face of all that people did to him. After Peter had preached to them, convicting them, yes, I like to think also telling them all about God's love, 3,000 people believed. Believe what Peter said, Holy Spirit worked in them, they were baptized and added to the church that day. That's what Pentecost is all about, knowing and receiving the presence of the work of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus described the Holy Spirit, an advocate, a counselor, a guide, coming to give us wisdom, to teach us, to remind us of all that Jesus taught, to lead us. Not only did the Holy Spirit give me those extra no notes in the middle of the night, yesterday morning when I got back, I caught up on a, a few devotionals that I have in a devotional book that I use. And uh, it's by A.W. Tozer. I'll mention him, T-O-Z-E-R, wonderful writer, uh, if you have an opportunity to get some of his books. But I'm going to read his words and let him say this because it's hard-hitting and I'll let him take the blame. Quote from Tozer, I think there are great numbers of Christian believers who ought to go home and go into their places of prayer and apologize to God for their demeaning attitudes towards the Holy Spirit of God. And included in their numbers are Bible teachers who are guilty of leading us astray. They have dared to teach Christians that the Holy Spirit will never speak of his own person or position, as though that third person of the Godhead could be ignored and his ministry downgraded. Jesus told his disciples the Comforter will not come to stand on his own to speak of his own authority, but he will guide you into all truth. He will speak and act on the authority of the divine Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you do not yield to and honor the Holy Spirit, your lives will not show through, show forth rather the blessed fruits of the Spirit. And Tozer asks, are we raising a whole generation of young men and women without any sensitivity to the voice of God's Holy Spirit? He says, I'm thinking about a great throng of men and women raised in Christian homes, brought up in Sunday school, probably cut their baby tooth on the edge of a hymn book when the mother wasn't watching. And still to this day, they're not right with God. Some have made a kind of profession, but have never been able to delight themselves in the Lord. And the reason? They have lost sensitivity to the message and the voice of God. If the Holy Spirit cannot move something within their beings every day, they are not going to be effective Christians, if they are even Christians at all. Strong words. Not right with God. Peter told the people what they had done, told them they had to repent, be baptized. When they did, they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, we've all seen shows where there's a lot of suspense and there's a plan and it's like, wait for the signal, wait for the signal and then move. Same with the surprise party. Wait until you get this signal and then you can all yell surprise. Tosa says that the miracles that day indicated to the disciples that the signal that Jesus the Messiah had taken his place at God's right hand. They had done as Jesus had told him, told them rather. They had waited in Jerusalem. They had waited for the signal. This was it. Jesus was exalted in heaven. The Holy Spirit was sent forth in a new way, just as God had promised. And now they were to live in that spirit, to go in the spirit, to preach, to teach in the spirit, to share the gospel in the spirit. Quoting Tozer, what a lesson. The spirit does not have to be begged. He comes when the Savior is honored and exalted. I wonder if God is saying to you and to me, to our church at Emmanuel, I want to give you back what you've lost. Now, while there is time, God says, come with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and don't tear your clothing with grief. Tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God. He's merciful. He's compassionate. Slow to get angry. Filled with unfailing love. Jesus has been exalted in heaven. He's saying, I want to pour out my spirit on you and on your children. I will come in the spirit as my son is altered, honored rather, and exalted. I really believe God is doing that. Some of you have already told me about visions, about dreams. I've already seen what I see to be as miraculous things happening in our midst. As we take steps forward in this transitional season, I see his amazing, amazing leading for us. Yes, Jesus, pour out your spirit. Father, we pray with boldness. Pour out your spirit upon us. Help us to repent, make us ready, and then, Lord, do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.